Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 150 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at Kia's EV6. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to take a moment to reflect on the fact that this is episode 150. From a small podcast that Simon and I started back in 2019, it snowballed a little to the point where we're heading towards 4,000 downloads every month. And we're not quite fully charged yet, but we have had both Jack Scarlett and Dan Caesar from that show on our roundtable episode. So we're, you know, we're getting there. Our main topic of discussion today is the EV6. Continuing our occasional series where we look at the current electric vehicles available to purchase, we find ourselves looking at the EV6. This is the Kia vehicle that's based on the same overall platform as the Hyundai Ioniq 5. To talk about is EV6, we're joined today by uh, Pete Mooney, EV6 owner and driver. Welcome, Peter. Uh, Hi. Before we start, just tell me your EV story. What brought you to electric from fossil fuels? Was it one incident? Was it peer pressure? What? Okay, so my job, I'm a mechanical and electrical consultant. I generally design buildings and houses. So I see a lot of uh, environmental things that go on in the buildings, the, the legislation that's now going in place to make homes more efficient, uh, to include renewable energies. So I've always been interested in that side of uh, society. Um, my journey in electric cars started in uh, 2018. Uh, before then, I was driving a Volkswagen Tiguan, a two-litre diesel my commute was from Maidstone in Kent to Greenwich, uh, which is a horrible journey most of the time. Lots of start-stop traffic in a two-litre diesel with a manual gearbox was just a horrible journey. I was sort of looking at buying a new car, and at that sort of time, I was getting into Martin Lee's podcast, EV News Daily. Uh, I was listening to Robert Llewellyn, and the the whole revolution of the electric car was coming, and I really wanted to get into one. So when I looked at the cost of diesel just getting to and from work, I wondered whether or not I could offset that against not having to pay for diesel anymore didn't have a very big budget though it really was just the cost of the uh, diesel that I I had to play with Um, and getting into a car that was sort of family sized and you know did everything we needed it to do was really hot was really hard in the end I settled on a a Mercedes B-Class I know that it's quite flawed as an electric car as far as how it goes and how fast it charges but you know we lived in the suburbs of Kent and everywhere we went was never really that far anyway Um, it wasn't our only car we had another sort of family sized car in inverted commas uh, that we could use if we wanted to go further distances so I just I just went for it in the end and never looked back I loved that car it was absolutely brilliant it's lovely to drive smooth quiet comfortable everything that you'd expect from a from a premium car and the fact that it was electric was was absolutely brilliant so it did my journey to 
Greenwich absolutely well. And when I got to the car park, I could charge it up there. And I got home and I would charge it at home. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. But not long after, a couple of years ago, we moved to Norfolk. And up here, everything is a little bit further away. And the sort of 80-mile range of the of the B class was, was just struggling a little bit too much. And it was the charging was so slow. It was just, so yeah, we just decided to, to, you know, just cash it all in. We, we sold that car. We sold the car we had, we amalgamated the money from both of them. And then we bought one EV6 and here I am today. I, I, I like that story. And it always reminds me of a couple that I met in an electric vehicle meet and they were running, um, I think a, a diesel Nissan Qashqai at right. the time. And I've told this story on the podcast before, you might have heard it, but they worked out that the amount of money they were spending on diesel per month would totally cover the cost of a loan for, yeah. I think they bought yeah. an e-golf at the time. Plus, because they were doing business mileage, they could actually claim 40 pence a mile uh, <laughs> against the business. So by selling yeah. the cash guy, buying the e-golf, they effectively got it for free and the company were paying them to drive it. So absolutely fantastic. Love that story. Yeah, that was exactly the same. It was really just finding the car that suited our family's needs that I could get for the same sort of monthly cost I was spending on diesel. Um, and I know that, you know, even in 2018, that sort of limited your, your um, costs you know, were your choice quite a lot. Um, so, so the e-golf was on my list of uh, cars. Uh, I've never really liked the Nissan Leaf that much, so I didn't really consider that one. And I know it sounds really snobby, but you know, we, we drove Mercedes, and I quite like nice cars. And I didn't want to go down to something like a Nissan Leaf. I, I know that sounds snobby, but um, so, so the the B class sort of ticked all the boxes. Really, I'm not going to say you're snobby at all. I mean, you know, if you like you like Mercedes, you like Mercedes. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Let's talk about your EV6. What spec? What model did you get? So we went for the GT line. It was actually a really funny story because we went to the. Um, the the open day that you know the presentation of the ev6 so we sort of got there in the evening there's lots of people and and drinks and then they do the big reveal and they talk about the car and and then they get you to sign up to you know whether you're interested in putting a deposit down um so we, we did that and i spoke to the sales lady there and she's really nice and she says well so what one do you think you would have gone for and i said well you know i've had a quick look at the specs i think i'd probably go for the gt line i don't think i need the gt line s i think it's just a little bit over what i need she went oh, okay so she wrote it down and um, nothing else really happened on it in that and then uh, a few weeks later we were just talking about time frames and she was saying well but ben one this was um 2021 blimey <laughs> yeah yeah so to she said well we probably won't get it and for a um uh for about a year or so anyway so we were sort of imagining somewhere around about may this year uh, to get it and then she gave us a call uh, in october last year and said oh your car's just turned up and we're like, what? I didn't even order the car. She goes, well, you're not obligated to take it, but it's here now. If you want to take it for a test drive, then yeah, we did take it for a test drive and bought it straight away. So it was, um, so it wasn't really the spec that we were after, but um, and didn't really get any time to sort of sort of discuss any of the options or anything. Um, but it was such a good opportunity, and it was so early uh, in its uh, deliveries that we we just went for it. I spoke to a lot of people who've bought cars 
that are in the similar sort of demographic as, as yours, the, the larger, the slightly more expensive, the slightly more luxurious ones. And a lot of them say, uh, well, I went for a Tesla. And a lot of them say, well, I looked at Tesla and decided against it. Was Tesla ever in your your vision for being a, a car that you would want to drive? That's a, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, I've always loved Tesla really early on before anyone I knew had ever even heard of them. And I always wanted one. I always aspired to own one. Um, and then it's funny because when it actually got closer to, you know, I could actually afford one of these, it, I was looking at a secondhand Model S and I just think they're too big for, for what I need a car to be. It's it, it's sort of the wrong shape and it's just too big a car. So, and, of, and obviously the X is too expensive. And then when the three came out or, you know, was coming out, I was really, I thought, right, this is the one, this is what I'm going to get this car. And then it turned out to be a saloon and not a hatchback. And I just, oh, I can't put the dog in the boot of that car. So it, it sort of ruled that one out. So I thought, okay, then, well, I know that the Y is coming out. So that will be the car for me. But when you look at, what you get with with the Model Y, it, I mean, it wasn't quite out at the time when we got the EV6, but it was also nearly 10 grand more expensive. And I was already stretching myself to go to the EV6. So I was really, I was really quite disappointed with that because I, I really would have done a, a Model Y, um, but I think they're just too expensive for what they are. And I don't know, I mean, again, maybe it's a little bit controversial, but I'm just not really sure I, I'm that into Tesla anymore. I, I'm not sure I like the direction the company's going in or how they conduct business. And, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure that that's, that's what I want anymore. And I also, um, just on another side, I think their designs are really boring. And when you look at EV6s and the Onyx 5s and the uh, Polestar 2s, they're much nicer looking cars. I've got to say, you're not the first person I've heard express either of those opinions regarding Tesla. So I don't think you're by yourself there. Uh, so why then out of all the cars that were available, I mean, you could have gone for something like the uh, the Marquee, you could have gone for the I-Pace. What, what drew you to the EV6? So I uh, went to Ford when the um, uh, when the Mackie came out and I really liked it. It ticked all the boxes. That was the car. And I put my name down and no one ever called me back and I couldn't get hold of anyone to talk to at the time. So, yeah, that's that's the only reason that never happened. Um, I really like the Ionic 5. I think that probably did it for me a little bit more design-wise. But I think my wife was more drawn to the sporty look and the sporty stance of the EV6. Uh, Obviously, I think they're both amazing looking cars. So I was (laughs) not really fussed which one, to be honest. Polestar 2, we test drove one of them. I absolutely loved it. Uh, And I didn't expect to. I thought it would be a box ticking exercise just to say that I tried it um, and absolutely loved it. But I think with um, three teenagers and a dog, it was probably just a little bit too small. But also, I think when you look at all the competition that's around and, and all the options you've got, the EV6 is right up there with with the tech, you know, the 800-volt architecture, the rapid charging, the, you know, it just, it just seemed like the best car out there and all the others were just that little run behind. And we even took out the um, Audi Q4 e-tron and I was, I don't know, I'm not really a massive Audi fan either, but I, I just, I thought it was really boring. It is a little bit over, over the top on the interior. And then the, the, the drive was 
just a bit dull and you know the acceleration was a bit dull and it was, just seemed a little bit too safe so so yeah we ruled that one out as well fair enough so with your ev6 specifically how many miles have you done so far we are now just over twenty five thousand miles since october so in just under a year we've we've managed to do twenty five thousand miles um, some of those are quite long journeys we drove down to southampton from where we live which is quite far north in Norfolk so up not too far from Kings Lynn and we did that on one charge I didn't need to stop so we drove all the way down there did what I needed to do stopped off at the um, Cobham services just to top up and then drove the rest of the way home another long journey I've done is we went up to um, Yorkshire uh, that was again probably another you know sort of like four hours in the car four or five hours uh, and again didn't need to charge on that one either so we got there did what we needed to do and charged i think on leads on the way back so it's I've, I've tried to do a few sort of long road trips but it's actually quite amazing how, how much you can do how far you can go in this country at 300 miles so yeah not really needed to do a big one well that's interesting because if i look at the ev database the real life range that they talk about for the ev6 is in the ballpark of 255 miles so what are you getting sort of real real world oh it's way over that i, I mean I, I would say i would say it's, it might be 250 miles in winter um you know worse worse conditions but this summer, in fact, uh, I'll tell you there's another story in a minute, but uh, just to answer to your question, um, I would say we're getting about 280 without trying. And when I do try, I, I think I could get 300 miles out of it. I don't think I could get 328, but I think I could get 300 out of it. I have seen a number of screenshots of people ironically driving the earlier, the e-Nero, 300, 311 miles um, out of that with, uh, they've got a much smaller battery, but they've got 64 kilowatt hours in there. So the Korean cars, they really uh, are good with the efficiency. They can ring every last mile out of a, a kilowatt hour, can't they? Yeah. I did the uh, London to Brighton EV rally uh, earlier on, and that was uh, that was quite an experience because it's the first time I've ever really tried to, to hypermile it, so to speak. So it was it was a nice sunny days. I didn't really need the air con- air conditioning on. Um, had windows down when I was going slow enough. Uh, speed was always really slow. You was always, always behind somebody, and I was getting over five miles per kilowatt hour for, as an average for that journey down from London to Brighton. And it, you know it sort of it sort of peaked at about five point five miles. And I was even, there was a guy there I was talking to who owned a Model 3 and I was getting better economy than he was. And I know I know the efficiencies of the Teslas and, you know, um, he was probably had his air conditioning on and, you know, a few things. But I, I know that trying to to be really frugal, that car will be really frugal if you if you treat it right. So that, that was an eye-opener as well. I was really impressed with that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the EV6 has the... Flappy paddle regen braking. Yeah, how how's that working for you? Is it is it good? Can you do the full effective one pedal driving? Does it bring you to a stop? Can, can I start your story? I'll, I'll I'll talk about the um the the B class that I had. So so the the B two fifty E also had the paddles and it had regen braking. It had an auto mode in it, and it it had the radar on the front and the camera. 
So, and bearing in mind how old this car is, I could set that car to auto and I never needed to change it. So, so what, what would happen is I would be going down the motorway at 70 miles an hour and I'd come off the accelerator and there'd be absolutely no region whatsoever. It would coast for absolutely ages. And then when it detected a car in front, it would really gently put the, put the region on until it kept you at that distance away from it. It, it, it didn't have the radar guided cruise control, but it would, it would use the region to make sure that you didn't get too close. But you could also be doing something like 60 mile an hour down a country lane. And then when you go into like a 50 zone, it detects that you're in a 50 zone and then it applies the region to bring your speed down to 50 mile an hour. And then while you're in that zone, it, it keeps the region a bit stronger to, to regulate your speed. It was absolutely brilliant. It worked flawlessly every time. And I've never experienced uh, an auto regen system any better and i think probably the new eqcs do it or uh, the eq cars from mercedes but that was absolutely brilliant and then when we got the ev6 and there's also an auto mode on that as well because i thought well i don't really want to be faffing with with paddles and regen i just want to put it to where it's going to go and 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 that's where i want it um but it just doesn't work the same it doesn't it's not limited it doesn't use the speed of the zone you're in and then there's also levels of auto, which I never really understood. So you can have a high, uh, high regenerative auto, which doesn't do anything. Or, and if you back it right the way off to number one, it will coast for ages until you, you get close behind a car and then it will then it'll apply the regen. But it just doesn't work as well. It, it's not as intuitive and it's not as smooth as the Mercedes ever was. So I generally just leave it in all in high region all the time and use one pedal driving as much as possible but there's also one of the software things about it is that there is a one pedal driving mode on there but you have to select it every single time you get in the car so there are there are settings from one to four but you can only ever go up to three and and it'll only ever keep it at three and then you have to go in and then click it again to get to four and then it flashes up says one pedal driving but then as soon as you get out of the car and get back in it again it's gone back down to three and you, then you've got to go back in and do the one pedal driving thing again so I, I can't be bothered to do that either so i generally just leave it on three which is the highest sort of region that you can sort of keep it on all the time i recently upgraded from the kia soul to a, an id3 and the one thing that the id3 has that the kia never had is adaptive cruise control and the lane keeping assist, which I believe are two things that the EV6 have. Uh, talk to me about your experiences with those. Okay, so I probably use the adaptive cruise control way more than I should. I use it almost everywhere. Even when I enter a 30 zone, I'll put it on just to keep it at 30. When it goes up to 40, I'll use the buttons to get up to 40. I just use it all the time. And I I don't really know why other people don't do it because it's just a faff having to try and manage your speed and keep looking down uh, with the accelerator when I, all I've got to do is press a button and it will keep me at that speed and at a good distance away from the car in front, irrespective of what they do. So I, I use it all the time. I love it. It's brilliant. Um, the lane keep assist is really good when you're on dual carriageways or, or larger defined roads, and it generally works really well every single time. I've never had a problem with it. It doesn't really work uh, around here where there are country lanes, and it doesn't work at all when there are no white lines on the side of the roads. So I think if you if you use it in the right place, it, it's, it's really good. And, and on the long journeys we've had on sort of motorways and A roads, 
you, I, I put that on and I know you still have to hold the steering wheel, but just knowing that you can, you know, dial down your concentration a little bit is just absolutely brilliant. So yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's okay as a tool, but I think you, my wife hates it. And I think she just doesn't like that lack of control. Um, but I think used in the right way, I think it's really useful. On the lane keeping assist, I know the one issue that I have with it is it, it doesn't, it doesn't keep you in the lane. What it does is it prevents you from going out of the lane, and that's there's a big difference there. What it can end up doing on the um, on the ID three is ping ponging from one side of the lane to another. Is that how it works with EV six, or does it recognise this is the outside edge, this is the inside edge, and I am going to stay in the middle? Um, I think it's I think it's more like that. I, I think there is a slight amount of ping ponging that you can. You, you can notice sometimes but it generally tries to keep you in the in the center of the lane and does a pretty good job of that I, I think it keeps me a little bit more to the left than I'd want to be so when you're in sort of the outside lane overtaking lorries it it feels it doesn't you know you you'd intuitively move slightly to the right to give you a bit more space between the lorry where it doesn't do that so I generally have to sort of wrestle with the steering wheel a little bit in some instances to try and get it to to where I want it to be um so yeah, I don't think it's perfect, but you know the times when when I've got it on and I want to just change the radio station, so you divert your eyes a little bit. It's just that that psychological knowing that there is somebody looking or there's something looking out of what's going on in front or where you are in the lane to allow you to do that a bit more safely. So I, I think it I think it works really well, and I think once you understand sort of how it works and its limitations, I think it's a really useful tool. Now, looping back to the adaptive cruise control, picking up on something you said a few seconds ago, one of the things I particularly like about the adaptive cruise control on the ID3 is that it will recognise changes in the speed limit. So if I'm in a 30 zone and I hit a 40 zone, it will go, all oh, right, we're in a 40 zone, and it will automatically compensate and put the the speed limit up and it will accelerate up to 40. And then when I hit a 30 zone again, it will go, all oh, right, you're back in a 30 and it will drop it down with no user intervention. Is that something you've got on the EV6 and you don't use, or does that not actually, is that not part of ACC on the uh, EV6? So th- there's, a, there's something like that that I've used on the motorway where it's, um, if, you, if you set your cruise to the speed limit of the motorway, um, most of the time the, the little icon in, on the screen turns green and tells you that it's now going to track the speed of whatever road you're on. Um, I've only ever really seen it work on motorways and A roads. I've never seen it work on any smaller roads, um, but it doesn't sound as good as the system that you're describing. Like, for example, I can't be going, you know, I can't be doing 30 in a 30 zone and then it sees a 40 mile an hour speed limit sign and then increases to 40. It, it, it doesn't do that. But one of the things that is, is the problem with, those sort of systems is you like if you're if you're going from you know slower to faster then that, that obviously works quite well but if you're going from from faster to slower it won't actually adjust the speed until you've gone into the zone of the slowest speed so you're technically speeding until it slowed itself down so <clears throat> it would be really nice if it saw the sign coming up and goes oh right so we're doing 50 miles an hour uh, that sign is 40 so i need to start slowing down now so that by the time i get to that sign i am now only doing 40 miles an hour but it, it, it as far as i know there isn't a system that is that intuitive the the ID three I mean it's a totally valid point that you've made there. There are certain circumstances with the ID three where it will preempt the fact that you're going into a thirty zone and it will slow oh, you down. Yeah. 
but it's not consistent and it's not everywhere because I think half of it works on GPS and half of it works on signpost recognition. So if you're in yeah. the, if it's in an area where the GPS says, right, you're approaching a 30 zone, it will start to slow you down. But if you're in an area where that GPS data isn't there and it's relying on the signposts, then it will pick the signposts up, blast through them at 40 or whatever speed you're doing, and then go, oh, right, I'm in a 30 zone, and it will knock yeah. you back. Uh, the other yeah. issue that I've had, and I've had this a couple of times on the A3 coming out of London, the A3 itself is 60 zone, but running parallel with it are roads that sort of slip road off to go to to roundabouts that are above the A3, and they're at 30 zones. So because of the GPS, it goes, oh, you're approaching a 30 zone and it'll slam the brakes on, even though you're still on the A3 that's going underneath the roundabout and you should still be doing 50 or 60 or whatever it is. So it's not perfect. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think sort of, you know, the the point you're, you're sort of trying to make, and, and it's, it's the one that I've found as well, is that all of these systems that are on these premium, in inverted commas, cars, they're all, they, they're good and they're useful, but... Look, like my, my wife doesn't like using them because she finds them more of a distraction. And I, and I do get that as well because, you know, I just like techie stuff and I like, you know, playing with these gadgets. But I think from a from a, a, a broader base, they just add more complexity because although you're like, for example, if I set my, my cruise control to, to 40 mile an hour in a 40 zone, I don't have to worry about, you know, sort of maintaining that 40 mile an hour speed. But I do have to keep thinking about, um, the changes in speed limits and what button I need to press now, and you know, so, so it just it just had a whole other sort of element of complication to the to the system. And I think until they work absolutely perfectly all the time in all situations, I think for most people they are always going to be a bit of a faff and a bit of a bit of a gimmick. We seem to have drifted across into the part of the discussion where we talk about those things on the vehicle that maybe are not a, as a hundred percent. So are there any particular things that you've picked up in the time that you've had it that you think, hmm, don't like this or hmm, might have done this differently? I mean, God, where do I start really? Um, it's just, there's just a lot of things on the software that are really frustrating. So if we just sort of get out of the way, the car's amazing. It drives really well. It's smooth, quite comfortable, it's big, spacious, blah, blah, blah. It's all of the stuff that you'd imagine the car like this to be. But the software experience is really not that impressive. Um, I'll give you a few examples. So we spent a lot of time when we first got the car playing with all the sat-nav, setting all the systems the way we wanted it to be, um, put all the all the presets in of the places that we go the most often, um, set the phones up, you know, all of the stuff that you do. And then it's had a software update, I think probably over the air or something. So we woke up in the morning and everything's gone. Like all our presets are gone, everything. So we had to redo all of it again. And it's, it's, so, so, so that so that was really frustrating. You think, well, that's just a one-off. I hope it doesn't very, happen very often. But you know, that that's one thing. But it's it's the timings as well. So if I if I unlock the car and I get in the car and but don't start it straight away, then all, all the like my preset settings don't work. So the so so when you when you get in the car um once it's all set up, then I open I open the, the, the driver's side door and I get in and the seat will automatically adjust to the driving position of the last person that drove it. So there are two profiles on the car at the moment, which is mine and my wife's and 
the hose is much closer to the steering wheel, mine is a little bit further away. But sometimes it will just put my seat to her position uh, and then I've got to press the preset button to get it back to where mine is again or vice versa. Sometimes it, it will just go back and I'm like, well, why, why did you go back? Or sometimes it just won't adjust at all. So there, there are little things that you that you have to do every time you get in it that are just unexpected. And and it, I mean, I can give you more examples, but it, it's that sort of it's that sort of thing where it just, I think the software experience really lets it down. One of the sort of things that I've heard against the EV6, well, the Kias and the Hyundai's in general, whilst their software, when it works, is really, really good, the user interface is a little bit, what's the phrase I use? Dated. And I mean, you're buying a brand new car, it's an expensive car, and yet it's using a software, a font set, which has been around for quite a few years. Do you do you think that's a valid criticism? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the, the, I think the things like that they don't really bother me. I, I mean, I know the Ionic Five is all white, and the Kia as standard is is like is black, and I think the black sort of hides a lot because because you, you can you can turn the UV six to make everything look white, and I think when you do that, it generally looks a little bit cheaper um in my opinion especially since you've got the black sort of bezels of the of the screen that really defines the screen as opposed to the surround um so i think having black probably hides a lot of that that stuff it is a little bit slow but I, I, again i can sort of forgive it for that a little bit yeah i don't i don't really i don't really see that as a as a problem to, to be honest there are some things about it that i don't like for example um i wish i could customize the displays a little bit more because the, the seven inch screen in front of the driver sort of behind the steering wheel is it's a big screen and it you know you could you could potentially put quite a lot of information useful information on there but you're so locked to what you can put on it like i can't have the maps on there for example like an audi does or you can have the map in the middle and it, it just seems to be a lot of space with not a lot of information on it and you, there's nothing you can do about that you sort of give you're given their presets and that's all you can do and one of them is a big clock that tells you when you should take a break. And I'm like, I don't need a clock right in my front view to tell me when I need a break. I, I can figure that one out for myself. So, so yeah, I think I think there are some things with the software that I don't like as far as the, the layout goes and other cars that I've been in that seem to do that much better. Did you get two charging cables with it or just one? I've got the three-pin plug one. And I got the seven kilowatt one. Ah, so you got yeah. both, which is which is good. My ID three only came with the AC charger, not the granny charger, which is a bit annoying. How tall are you? Is the headroom good? I've heard issues. If you're above six foot, it could be a bit tight. Um, well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm 173 centimeters, which is five foot eight. So it, I, I don't get any problems with with height. Um, my, my, my son's quite tall, um, and you know when he's sitting in the back again, he's had no issues with with uh, height. I think the space in the back is brilliant. I, I, yeah, I, th- I think space wise in the car is excellent. I like I like the bins. I like the the layout of where everything is. There's the the big sort of bin below the centre console, which is all you know sort of this floating thing is really useful of uh, putting stuff in it. Glove box is a little bit small. I, I like the uh, the drawer version of it rather than a the sort of a flap down lid uh, that you've got to try and hunt for things in. Um, but I, I think generally speaking, the space inside the cabin and the comfort that you know that everybody's experiencing there is really good. One of the piece of functionality that I think uh, the EV6 has, and I'm not sure it's on every version, um, is there the equivalent of what Tesla call the summon, where you can stand outside and use the keypad to get the 
vehicle to move. Have you got that? Have you used it? No, that so that's on the that's on the GT Line S, that one there, which I think, as far as I know, will literally just back in a straight line out of or into a garage, and then obviously use the cameras and sensors to make sure you don't hit the side. Um, but no, I haven't got that. But the the, the the next model up from my one came with a head-up display, um, a bird's eye view camera. Uh, for sort of you know tight manoeuvring uh, the the summon feature that you're talking about uh, and a better sound system I think there's a few others on there as well but it, it came with those and I must admit I think I think they're all I would have said and the reason I didn't go for the S version of it is they're all a little bit gimmicky because I don't think you need any of those in in a car but having driven the EV6 now for a for a little while, I think the bird's eye view camera is almost vital because it's such a big car to try and maneuver. And I don't know what it is about its dimensions or the angles. I can never get it lined up in a, in a parking space. I always end up having to open the door and see whether I'm, I'm straight. And I think just having that view around the car. Oh, well, yeah. Also, the other thing that mine doesn't have is, you know, the indicators and it brings up the little camera feed on the display doesn't do that either is the next model up that does that and, and i think i think just because it is such a big car i think those features that allow you to see the exterior particularly uh, sort of low speed maneuvers is would be really handy to, to have that like i don't really need a head-up display or i don't own a garage either so i don't need to worry about the those other features and i certainly wouldn't be parking it in a car park where i'm so tightly packed i can't even open the door so i've got to use the buttons to get the car out but just to be able to see the you know the parking space that i'm about to go into and you know see the tight car parks that you know make sure i'm not going to hit the side of it would be really useful Another issue that I've heard can happen, and I'm not sure whether this is uh, something uh, inherent to all the EV6s or just the early versions or just the GT6S or whatever, the GT Line S, is the the fact that if you walk past the um, the vehicle not intending to get in and you've got your keys on you, it will auto open the tailgate. Well, it won't on mine because mine's got a manual tailgate. Uh, the, the, the next one up is auto. Um, but all mine does is when you get close to the car, it will just undo your um, your side mirrors. So, so they just poke out, but it won't unlock the car. You've physically got to press the lock button in order for it to then open the car. Again, I, I wish it had the feature on it or at least an, op- an option where when you walk away from the car, it'll automatically lock it, but it won't. You've you've actually got to press the button on the handle in order to lock it or unlock it. Um, but yeah, because I've got the manual boot, it, I don't have that anyway. I, I mean, I don't really get man- uh, the auto boot openers. It's, it was never any hassle to open the boot in the before. So I never really don't want to wait for, for the motor to wind it back up before I can use it. The one thing I do like about the EV6 is that nice big charge flap down at the back there. However, one of the things I don't like about the EV6 is that nice big charge flap down at the back there because it seems to me as if it would be really easy to walk past that and break it off. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I've walked into it once or twice. Uh, I've not not broken it or damaged it in any way, but yeah, I, I do get that because uh, when you open it, it does come out quite far. You can imagine if it came out and then rotated down or something that it would sort of keep it close to the car and out the way. I do hear these things where people say the charge port should be on the front of a car, and I really disagree. I don't want to drive straight into a parking space and then have to reverse out into potential oncoming traffic 
to to charge the car i want to reverse into a parking space and it's nothing to do with like mirroring uh, combustion engine cars and this is where it's always been so this is the best place it's not that i just don't want to drive straight into a parking bay and uh, until, uh, until they well, unless they move or put longer cables on the on the machines to, to be able to you know plug it in wherever you however you park that's just what i like so the position of where the charging bay is on the ev6 is perfect for me i really like it i mean i, I guess maybe uh, you know i really like what the what the aldis did where they put one on both sides because you never really know where you're going to park so i think having the option of of maybe one side or the other side would be really useful. It might sort of give it a bit more symmetry. But again, I don't, I don't really have too too many issues. Although having said that, there's a there's a, a Tesla charging uh, uh, stall uh, not too far from where I live that's just been opened up to any car. So I thought, well, it'd be rude not to go and try it. So I went down there to do it, and obviously the charging flap is on the opposite side to the Tesla, so you can't actually charge it without blocking two charges. So uh, I think. I don't know. You could call that maybe short-sighted, but I guess it, you know, and there is no standard, is there? They, you know, all cars, no matter where they come from, combustion engines or electric, they there's no standard to say where they should be, so nobody standardises it. So. Well, the, there's a discussion that I'm having with a lot of the charge point operators at the moment um, about: Do we really need? Does the standard for charging have to be you drive into or you reverse into a parking place and then charge up? Or should we be looking more at what Fastnet do on the continent, which is they have the charger in the middle and you drive past it in the same way as you do with the petrol station. So you've got the pump on one side rather than the pump at either the front or the back. So is it drive through versus drive in and drive out? And that way, it doesn't really matter where the charger is. If it's on this side, you park on that side. If it's on that side, you park on this side. If it's at the front, you park further back. If it's on the back, you park further forward. I think that's got to be the way it goes, ultimately. I mean, I'd also say as well that if you go to a petrol station and you pull up to a pump because it's the only one free, but your your flap is on the other side, the 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 pipe is usually long enough to reach around the car to be able to to put it there. Whereas in a lot of charging, uh, electric charging bays, the cables are, are quite short. So unless it is exactly where the manufacturer envisioned your charger to be, it's really hard to make that cable stretch to where it needs to go. Um, so it, it feels like that like something, either the charging manufacturers need to accommodate for more different cars or we need to settle on some sort of standard for where the charging flap is so that we don't have this problem. Let's bring it back to your EV6 now. Do, are there any other sort of issues or little niggles that you don't like about it? Apart from apart from the software issues, which seem to sort of permeate through most of the, the driving experience, you know, like the warning signs that will flash up telling me that my forward collision has stopped working and then it's really in- intrusive. It flashes, it's big, it comes up the whole display. It will last for about 30 seconds and then just go back to normal again. It seems to be fine. It doesn't really seem to like the rain that much either. So when it's a uh, torrential downpour, I, you know, all, that, all the lights uh, come on. 
sometimes it puts a parking brake on, sometimes it doesn't. Again, I don't know whether it's a glitch with mine or whether it's just a software thing. It always seems to be related to, I can imagine the designers of the software have thought, right, people are going to unlock their car, they're going to get in their car, they're going to turn it on, and then they're going to go. And generally speaking, when you do it in that order at a certain speed, it all works really well. But if you if you don't do it in that order, if you sort of get it, open your car, get in your car, close the door, fart around for a little bit, answer an email, maybe take a call, then try and start your car. Like I said, the seat doesn't adjust to where it needs to go. It takes ages to update the profile from one to the other. Um, The seat doesn't go to where you want it. It's it's just a bit of a faff and it's, and it really detracts from the, from just the driving experience. And again, this is, this is the most expensive car I've ever owned. And it's certainly the most complicated car I've ever owned. And a lot of the time I just wish it was a little less complicated and just worked the way I wanted it to work. And again, I know, you know, like, like I I sort of listen to a lot of podcasts and I, and I hear a lot of people talk and some people were really, you know, they like all that filling around and, and I just don't, I just, I just want the car to, to do what it's supposed to do. And that's take me places. And it seems to surround itself with lots of these other things that are supposed to be helpful. and, And, you know, sometimes are, and sometimes aren't, which I just find really frustrating. I was just going to ask you, what do you think is missing from the EV6 that you would like to have seen? I would like to, um, I'd like it to be a little bit faster. I don't think it's it's slow. It's it's quite, you know, it's nice and punchy off the line like all electric cars are. But I think for a car that expensive, 0 to 60 in seven odd seconds is, is not that quick. I think maybe even just half a second quicker or, you know, 0 to 60 in six seconds would, would feel a lot better. And when it's just one or two people in the car, it, it's, it's okay. But when you fill the car up with people and luggage, the, you know, that, that 217 brake horsepower doesn't seem to go that far. So I would like it to be a little bit quicker. Um, like I said, I think the bird's eye camera thing is, is almost a must on any car of this size to be able to manoeuvre it properly. It's, you know, around car parks and, and tight spaces. Um, so I think that would be, that would be a handy feature. I, do, I, I mean, I think some of the, some of the things they put on the GT line S, I think are fine. You know, if you want to, if you want to get an updated stereo, then you can get the next model up. But I, I think the thing that you have to sort of take a step back with and just, is just realize how much money it costs, you know, 43,000 pound, I think of, I paid for it and you know and it's still only sort of second from the bottom in their whole range of cars I think it's crazy but yeah that's it sort of a follow-on question for that is and you may have already answered this with the uh, 360 camera what feature or function do you like that you didn't actually expect to like I, I don't know because it's not it it isn't my first electric car so all of the things that people would normally say about how smooth and you know how how sort of nice they are to drive i sort of expected it i expected those things and i think when you buy a car this expensive you go into it with a lot of expectations about what it should have and again i know it sounds a little bit you see you know sort of first, first world problems but um I, you know, I went into it with quite high expectations and then I was a little bit disappointed with the things that it didn't do rather than um, really, really glad of the things it has. And I'll give you an example. You know, it's got a front boot. That's brilliant. Um, that's a really useful thing. I never use it. Absolutely never. It's, it's one of those things where it's it's the same sort of release 
on a on a combustion engine car so you've got to reach under you know somewhere underneath the dashboard to pull a lever to then walk around to the front of the car to try and find the little flappy thing to lift it up and then there's another flap you've got to lift up to get to the boot and then when you get there it's relatively underwhelming so whereas it might be quite useful for putting things like a smelly takeaway in it i'm not going to do that it's just too faffy so it only ever gets used for the things that um that are almost never used like the granny lead that I've never used since it's not even out of the packet, um, which which stays in there because I want it to be in the car. So again, I know it sounds a little bit snobby and a, you know a little bit first world problems, but I wasn't really surprised by anything it did um, above and beyond what I expected it to do. My final question on this is something which I skipped over earlier on uh, in my list, so I'll come back to that. What it's Pitched as being a car that will charge at about 250 kilowatts maximum. What is the maximum charge speed you've ever got? Um, I've, I think I've maxed that out at 260. I would say that the only the only problem I ever had with the charging was recently in all this really hot weather where it limited. So I pulled up at a, a 350 kilowatt charger at Braintree and um, I only got 60 kilowatts out of it, which I presume is because the because of the temperature of, of the battery. So it sort of sort of ramped that down. But it's it's charging is just brilliant. It, it like like. It's, 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 a, it's actually a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird time for it to charge in. So, so again, I don't really run the car right down to ten percent ever. I think most of the time I plug it in. It's normally at about twenty five percent, and going from twenty five percent up to eighty percent is so fast. I, I, I pulled up a, a, a three hundred and fifty kilowatt charger. I plugged it in. I walked in to go to the toilet. I ordered a. Um, a a Burger King and I walked back to the car to, to eat it and the car had already charged. And it, so, so, so I didn't, I don't even have time to eat somewhere, at a, you know, a decent charger to before the car's charged. So, so if you, if you did want to sit in and eat, you, you've, I mean, it would be unfair of other people to, for me to limit the speed that my car charges just so that I can sit and eat and, you know, potentially rob someone else of a charge. So it's a case of sort of going in, getting your stuff, look, looking at your watch, realise that your car's probably charged by now, going back out to the car to move it so someone else can use the charger. Again, I know it's a, you know, it's a, I'm not complaining that it charges fast. It's amazing that it charges fast. And a, a really good example of that was I was driving home. The car was a little bit low. I probably could have made it home, but, you know, I was in a rush. I wanted to make sure I could go at a decent speed all the way home. I pulled into Braintree uh, to fill it up, and I literally waited by the car like it was a petrol car to fill it up to put enough miles in it. And it was so fast, like it was, it really was at almost a hundred miles of range in five minutes. So, so I literally plugged the car in. I waited by the charger, just, just mindlessly scrolled on social media for, for five minutes and then just, just got back in the car and left again. And, and I think, I think just to have that ability is brilliant. I just wish there were more fast chargers of, of these sort of, you know, petrol station sort of designs around that people can experience what that what that you know what charging should be peter mooney thank you very much for your time i appreciate it absolutely my pleasure thank you very much the thing i liked about this discussion was that pete was very open and honest about both the good and the bad points about the car he made it clear that he liked the car 
but that it wasn't perfect. And that's what I like to hear when it comes to people who come on and talk about their electric vehicles. I have similar thoughts about the ID3, a great car in many respects, but I'm not sure I'd get a second one. I might talk about that more in an upcoming episode, we'll see. Anyway, many thanks to Pete for his time. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. This is fairly old news, but I wanted to bring it back because of what it implies in the long term. A doctor in Texas performed the world's first vasectomy using power supplied by an electric vehicle. The EV, a Rivian R1T, has a vehicle-to-load functionality, which was drafted in when a sudden power cut meant the operation couldn't be performed. As the patient couldn't reschedule, they basically ran an extension lead out to the Rivian, which has four 110-volt outlets dotted around the place. They plugged in the necessary equipment in the operating room, and the operation went ahead as scheduled. What's significant about this is that it's making people more and more aware of the possibilities of having a large battery sitting outside doing nothing. In this case, it was used as a lifeline to help provide emergency power, something that will always be needed in places like Texas and some of the other US states which lose power frequently due to bad weather events. But what it also allows is people to time shift their usage from peak times to off-peak times. If you run your appliances from your car battery during the expensive evening peak and recharge the battery overnight during the cheaper off-peak times, this reduces the load on the grid and it reduces the amount of energy needed from peaker plants, which usually use expensive gas or coal. The secondary knock-on effect is a reduced energy bill because we don't need to bring in expensive gas and coal to produce the power. Absolutely love this. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've got Renewable, is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingCV with the words, it's the same basic car as the Ionic 5. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, with the recent change in Monarch, the subject of what he would do if he was king for a day came up. Simon was pretty sure he knew what the first thing would be that he'd do. Get rid of those Rolls Royce limos and go back to the old Daimlers. And I know it sounds really snobby, but, you know, we, we drove Mercedes and I quite like nice cars. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.